0: now to the Word of God, and we are going to take a look at the Gospel of Mark. This is the second week of Advent. We don't tend to follow the liturgical year too often uh, in our church, but in Advent, we step into it a little bit. We have the four candles, and every week has a little bit of a theme. Last week, the theme was hope. This week, traditionally and in this word. I hope you hear the theme of peace. So, listen now to the Word of God from Mark 1, chapter, verse, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face. You will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie i have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the holy spirit says the word of the lord let's pray lord help us as we consider your word that you would change us mold us shape us by your word guide my hearts guide all of our thoughts and minds as we stand before you and your word we pray in jesus name amen and amen the gospel of mark from which we read this morning most scholars believe was the first gospel that was written down and it had been a couple of decades, a few decades, since the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the stories had been passed around by people who were there. But now it's, it's, it's time to write it down. And Mark begins this first gospel with John the Baptist. And it's taken me a long time to understand why this passage is so appropriate for this time of year. John is the one that Malachi and Isaiah hundreds of years before prophesied would show up to announce the arrival of the Messiah, the Christ. Now, take a step back and and look at the big picture. Israel, since its glory days a thousand years before with David and Solomon as kings, had become basically an insignificant backwater outpost of the great Roman Empire that has developed the past couple hundred years. And, and since the days of the prophets long ago before that, empires have come and gone. Rome now is the biggest and most powerful of all of them. And for the people of Israel, things have been quiet and dark since those prophets hundreds of years before. And you can imagine that it's been difficult for the, the people of Israel to hold out hope and to keep waiting for the promise as they've waited in this dark corner of nowhere eventually, you would lose sight of that which you're waiting for, of who you're waiting for, unless you have the eyes to see, unless you are waiting with anticipation. Now, you don't have to be awaiting with anticipation the arrival of a Caesar in the great city of Rome, surrounded by legions, parading with fanfare through the streets to recognize the significance of that king showing up. Jesus isn't arriving like that. It's not the big city at the center of the world. It's not great fanfare in legions and parades. Bethlehem. Shepherds, a poor couple in a barn with a manger. Jerusalem and especially Galilee and the people of Israel aren't much of a blip on the radar of history in terms of the landscape of the time. If you don't know what it is you are waiting for, looking for, you're going to miss it. And most of the world does. So, John the Baptist is going to give some framework and significance to the arrival of Jesus on the scene. This new prophet, John, after so many centuries, shows up to proclaim that those old, old prophecies, they're about to come true. You don't want to miss this. The way to be ready is, is to have some sense of that which you are waiting for, of who you are waiting for. Last week, we, we looked at how this waiting begins in a season, a time of, of darkness. And John proclaims, in the darkest, loneliest, most isolated places in the desert, And he proclaims after 400 years of darkness and quiet since the last of the Old Testament prophets proclaimed the Word of God. And John, he doesn't come off as an impressive figure, but more like a, a wild man, an extremist with his clothes and his diet. But he has two things to say, two things. First, he preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, And the message that, as unimpressive as he is, another one is coming who is the one that they've all been waiting for, the one who meets their greatest need. John's proclamation for the baptism, for the repentance of sin, is simply this. It is a recognition, not just that the world is dark, but that we, each one of us, has darkness and sin within us. We've we've absorbed some of that world's sinfulness in us. We're born with it even. The baptism of repentance is a proclamation that we acknowledge that sin and we want to do better and we need to be forgiven our sin. And it's a big step to acknowledge our own sin and and our need for forgiveness this this by the way is exactly where the old testament left us we we see god's standard of holiness with his people no one can meet that standard and we are left in a state of needing God's forgiveness and his grace. And the best of the Old Testament people are those who sought and trusted in that grace from God. Later, Jesus is going to identify John the Baptist as the latest, the last, and the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And and that is the core of his message, except for one more thing, the second thing, that the one who brings enables, provides that forgiveness, cleanness, wholeness, and peace is right behind me. And this is how John summarizes that deepest of needs being met. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We got to think about what that means the difference between John's baptism with water and Jesus' baptism of the Holy Spirit. If John's merely helps us acknowledge our need to be cleansed and forgiven, Jesus's is a picture of our forgiveness being accomplished. And God present with us and in us this is the way that it struck me last week. I, I was listening to a podcast where a few famous entertainers and journalists and politicians were having a conversation, and they were talking about the value of therapy in their lives. And it centered on the ways it centered on the ways that they would come to think of themselves and their identity in the world. And they talked about how their identity was formed by their families when they were young, and then as they became famous public figures, by other people's perceptions of them. But through therapy, they they worked on how they would think of themselves in, in the most healthy and real ways. I think that is the primary concern of therapy, of how we think of ourselves. We think of how we've come to think of ourselves through our relationships with others, especially our families, and then we think of how our identity affects our relationships and our actions, and we do that work in therapy, and as I was listening to this podcast, it struck me that's what this passage is about. Think of it. The Old Testament is is about God, who He is And our relationship with him including and especially who we are to him what he thinks of us John the Baptist characterizes it he says look at God he is holy of course and in light of who he is who are you repent do better And you need to be washed clean. But all I've got is water. But the water points to the need and to the promise. But here comes one after him who is the fulfillment of that promise, of that need, the forgiveness of our sins. It's not water that he's going to clean you with. It's the fulfillment of the salvation of the Messiah, the the forgiveness of our sins. And it is the presence of a holy God who wants to be with you because this is how he feels about you. He loves you. The one who made you loves you. The story will go on to show that that, to show us who Jesus is. He is God, And, and the lengths that he goes to for the accomplishment of our forgiveness. He dies for us on the cross and rises to new life that we might know that new life, new life with him, life that is characterized by the presence of the Spirit of God in us. Now, do you see the effect on our self-image here? We work through what everyone else thinks of us so that we can figure out what to think of ourselves. But look at what this passage is saying about what God thinks of you, what Jesus does. It's a picture of how God feels about us and what he does for us in Jesus. I, I think therapy is a good thing for anyone good therapy, just to make, just make sure of this part, maybe this is, frankly, it's the biggest part. It turns out the more you understand God's role in your life and His love and feelings for you, His presence with you, more than anything else, this will define who you are then you're going to love others more as well and know peace. Let me give you a picture of this. I, I preached on this passage a few years ago. It, it wasn't the last time I preached on it, but when I preach on seasonal passages over and over again, I'll look back what I, at what I said before, and hopefully I'll say it better the next time. A few years ago, I preached on this passage after Christmas in, in, honestly, one of the darkest moments of our nation's life. It was the Sunday after the, the Capitol was overrun for a time by whatever, whatever you choose to call them, protesters, rioters, insurrectionists, it doesn't really matter. But I tell you, I was shook. I love our country faults and all, and I appreciate the stability we have as Americans. I, I see others who are from other places who admire and long for it, and how we so very often just, just take it for granted. And, and the capital kind of, it, it provides an image of the citadel, of, of, the, of the castle, of that stability and ideals of the generations that have built it. And and it was frightening to see it all so easily threatened. And it made part of who I am and who we are seem more vulnerable than I knew. And then I had to get ready to preach this message. And I remember working on this passage and how much it helped me work through my feelings and fear and grief that week. And as I remembered all of it, as I remembered who I am, who I really am, and what it means for me, and all I do, and all of my relationships, and where my true peace comes from. This was the end of the passage, end of the message, as I, I preached in the darkest of times. I'm going to read a section of it directly, I remember how it felt. A few of the new news commentaries this week I saw on those who stormed the castle was about whether this was who we are as Americans. By the question, I thought I could guess the answer that they were going to say that this isn't who we are as Americans, but that's not what they said. They said, this has always been a part of who we are, for better or worse, whether we like it or not. This is part of who we are as America. From the fierce debates putting together the Constitution to the Civil War, Reconstruction, Wars, Depressions, Pandemics, this is part of who we are. The extremes on both ends of the political spectrum is part of who we are as America. I read a Tim Keller sermon on the passage, and the end struck me because this is a time that our country's extremes are exposed, and and most of the messages are to not be so extreme. But that wasn't Keller's conclusion from his message decades ago. He wrote about the reactions we have to seeing Jesus that they're all extreme. He wrote, the one thing nobody who ever saw the real Jesus ever did was to say, nice sermon preacher, or very inspiring, or I need to come back. Jesus is not inspiring. He's not inspiring. The only rational responses to the claim Mark is making about Jesus are extreme responses. You say, well, I don't want to be an extremist. Oh, my goodness. Being intensely like Jesus won't make you look like an extremist because you'd be intensely gentle. You'd be intensely humble and you'd be intensely loving. You wouldn't look like an extremist to people, but you would be an extremist because you either have to hate him or you have to be scared to death of him or you have to give him absolutely everything. There is no other rational response, do you know the real Jesus? What I need now is not to stew in my fear, anger, and anxiety for what our country is becoming. What I need right now is to turn my eyes on Jesus. See that the king is still the king and not fear. Even as we see the capital fall to rioters, know that the kingdom of Jesus has not fallen. Rather, go to the extremes of being like him, being like Jesus, extremes of gentleness, humility, and love. This passage is meant to get us ready for the coming of Jesus. To remember who God is so that we can see who Jesus is and be ready for him. This Christmas season, in the midst of all the other expectations and activities and anxieties, remember who it is whom we are waiting to celebrate so that you'll see him when he comes. Be ready for Jesus. And and doing that will also know who we truly are as well. By knowing how he feels about us. He loves us. And by knowing what God is doing for us, providing the path by which we are forgiven, And the Spirit of God is with us. That's when we'll know who we really are. The beloved of God. And we'll be extreme. We'll be like Jesus. No matter what else is going on, what darkness we find ourselves in, Knowing who we are in him is our peace. For Jesus, our Messiah, the King, the Christ, is coming. And he's here. Let's pray. Lord, you baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And everything changes. Everything for the world changes. Everything for us changes. For we find in you our satisfaction and ourselves. God, renew that spirit within us. Prepare us for the coming of the Christ in all ways. For you are our God and our Lord. And we stand amazed at your love, your forgiveness, your grace, your salvation in your Son, Jesus. We thank you and we pray in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen and amen.